If America is a nation of small businesses, what benefit strategies are resonating in that market? And what are the opportunities for advisors? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. We've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about mostly large group stuff. And that's very interesting to folks. And a lot of you are dealing with larger groups, but larger groups still comprise a minority of all of the businesses in the United States by a long shot. And so I thought we hadn't talked about small groups or mid-sized groups for a while. Let's say, let's characterize them because everybody's got their own numbers. So let's categorize them as, you know, groups under 100. We haven't talked about those for a while. And so we invited Nancy Giacalone, who's president at Olympic Crest Insurance. And this is the market she deals in is small group, again, under 100. And one of the reasons that I thought it would be incredibly interesting to have Nancy on, besides that she's an interesting person, is that she's relatively new in the business. By the time you watch this, she will have probably been in the business for how long, Nancy? 35 years. Yeah, relatively new. So she's seen the same kind of crazy stuff that a lot of us have seen. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for taking the time to share your expertise with us. Thank you, David, for having me on. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. So let's level set. I mean, you know, truth in advertising here. I am not a small group guy. I've never been a small group guy. Small group drives me crazy. Anytime my career has tangentially touched small group, I run in the other direction. So what attracted you to small group? Well, I'm not sure if it attracted me. Well, I should say it attracted me. I wasn't attracted, to be very clear. And a lot of it really had to do with where I'm physically located. So my office is in Gig Harbor, Washington, which is a small suburb, not really suburb, but I'm about 40 minutes southwest of Seattle. And at the time that I actually opened my office here in Gig Harbor, I don't think we had any large employers at zero with over 100 employees. And yes, I can play in the Seattle market, but what I found was that there were people right here in my community that needed help and that were being blatantly ignored because nobody wanted to work with small group. And as you probably recall, there was a big move 10 to 15 years ago, right around the advent of ACA, when all the agencies were divesting themselves of small group. They didn't want anything to do with it. It wasn't profitable. It didn't make them look cool. And I just have a heart for helping people. And so all these people were struggling. These are the companies that don't have an HR person. These are the people that don't have a controller. They have an owner and they have somebody that's wearing many, many hats and was very frustrated by the lack of assistance in navigating what, what their options were. So I started helping them. And you help one, and they refer you to somebody else, and they refer you to somebody else. And as you mentioned, in all reality, groups with fewer than, there are 92% of employers in the entire United States have fewer than 50 employees, not even 100, fewer than 50 employees. And that's a 
big, big chunk of the market that is, quite frankly, often overlooked and ignored. Do you think that they're more grateful for the help as well because the big agencies don't really want to go there? Oh, absolutely. They're more grateful and they're more loyal. And that's one of the things that I actually really enjoy about working with, especially a closely held business. When you are talking directly to the owner and that owner has given up a paycheck to make sure that their employees have benefits, have their wages met, they are very, very invested in every penny and every decision that's being made. And they're very grateful for any assistance that you can provide that is going to make their life just a tiny bit easier. The, the fact that these companies largely don't have HR, designated HR people, or you know some of the other subspecialties, did that cause you to broaden your practice earlier than you might have if you were dealing in a larger group market? I think so. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm no different than anybody else. It's more interesting to work in large group. I mean, those are the facts. We have more options. We have more things available to us. But because I was finding myself my book just kind of kept expanding around these smaller groups, I realized that I needed to provide them more services to really round out their package and help them stay in compliance, help them understand the HR rules, eligibility, processing, because they tended to be kind of fly by the seat of the pants from an administration standpoint. They would send in an application 45 days past the date it was supposed to be effective and think that was okay. And so I've done a lot of education with them, helping them understand what they need to do to protect themselves from a liability standpoint while still effectively managing their benefit plan and helping their employees understand the benefits as well. How did ACA affect your practice? You know, I don't think it was as big of a deal as a lot of people made it out to be, especially for some smaller groups. It was actually a blessing for them because they Let's say you take a group of 20 that has one high claimant, maybe even a group of 35, and they have somebody that's on a half million dollar medication. They're not finding themselves out of options because they're pooled. And yes, we know that that high claimant is there and we might not be able to do some of the creative things we might we could have done, but they have a solid option. They have a protection that they didn't have before. The flip side, the downside is that a lot of smaller groups had longer waiting periods because they really couldn't afford to start providing benefits after 60 days. They wanted to make sure that employee was going to work out. So those that maybe had a six-month waiting period, that was taken away from them, and that did impact what they chose to do with benefits. A lot of folks who work in the large group market are finding less and less use for the bukas. But I know you think that the bukas are actually part of the solution, especially in your market. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to call them the buka bashers. And uh, I understand the points, especially in large market, because oftentimes the data is withheld and they play a little bit of, you know, smoke and mirrors. But if you're talking in small market or community rated ACA plans, depending on your state, it's either under 50 or under 100. They have to file those with the insurance companies and and those rates with the insurance companies, insurance commissioners. I'm going to spit that out sooner or later. And again, every state's insurance commissioner operates a little bit differently. But in the state where I am, in Washington state, those filings are looked at very, very closely. And rarely are the insurance companies even granted the amount that they filed for. So again, we're talking about that pooled group of employers, those community rated employers, There is not an option right now for them to meet the ACA requirements 
as a pooled entity other than Blue Cross, United Healthcare, Aetna, Cigna, whoever, you know, Kaiser, they serve a purpose. Now, do I think they're perfect? Do I think they're wonderful? Absolutely not. But I think that when we throw them under the bus, we leave them out of the conversation and they need to be part of the conversation because I truly believe that they are a critical piece of the solution. So how do we bring them to the table and how do we make it so that we can all play together well for the collective good of the employers and more importantly for the members so that everybody has that level of protection? I think that one thing that has been forgotten, neglected, I'm not really sure what the right word is over the last 20 years in health insurance and healthcare are two very different things. And the minute we start treating them as if they are the same, that's when we get in trouble. Insurance was intended, health insurance was originally intended to bring together a large group of people to pay a small premium to protect against an unforeseen catastrophic expense. That's not how we look at it today. We're mad if our $15 test isn't covered. That's not what insurance is. So is that what we want? Is that what we need? I don't know. But if we treat insurance the same way we treat healthcare, we have a problem. We have to be able to differentiate between the two. Is that one of the conversations that you have with employers on a regular basis? Because in the smaller group market, employers are kind of in that place where they write a check every month and all the problems are external to them, not as if they had a self-funded plan where they're the plan. Is that part of the conversation? that you have to start looking at your health insurance in a little bit of a different way than maybe you've looked at it before? Absolutely, because just because we are using an ACA plan doesn't mean we can't do other things. And it doesn't mean that we can't use health reimbursement accounts. It doesn't mean we can't use direct primary care. It doesn't mean we can't bring in these other pieces that are technically only available to large group. That's and they're not only available to large group. We can use them. We just have to be careful how we use them. And I think the problem comes in when ill-informed people make decisions or recommendations without full disclosure to the employer or to the employees about this is the liability that we've now transferred to you. Are you comfortable with it? Do you fully understand the implications? When you have that conversation with a group of 20, most of the time they're not going to be comfortable with a self-funded model and sometimes not even with a level-funded model. But you say, hey, you know, you don't need to have a $3,000 maximum out-of-pocket. How about if we kick that up to six dollars or $7,000 and put a health reimbursement account in there for that corridor? Then let's talk to the employees about what that means and what happens when they make their healthcare decisions. So there's ways to use those products to effectively manage costs, to get members involved in their decisions, and employers as well. And I think another thing that really is overlooked in the small group market is education. No one's taking the time to educate the employer, and no one's taking the time to educate the member. It's astounding to me how often I still have the conversation about what a deductible is, what coinsurance is, and what a maximum out-of-pocket is, and how it really affects somebody. I mean, we have gone back to the basics now when we do employee meetings, and we all brag about how much technology we have and these cool videos and these online enrollment systems. You want to know what the most effective communication tool is that I have is? I have poster boards made, 
and we do, this is a deductible. We talk about it. We go through like the four or five major concepts, and then we do a quiz with prizes at the end. You want to know the level of satisfaction we get from that type of communication is off the charts compared to, hey, we can make this easy for you. We don't actually have to talk to your employees. All they have to do is log into their phone and make their choices. Let's treat people like people. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. Yeah, we can out-sophisticate ourselves sometimes, and I don't think anybody wins. So other than spending accounts, what other kinds of vendors are playing in the market that you serve? Well, you know, again, this took forever and a pandemic really brought it to light is telemedicine, telehealth. It's something we sold often on top of a fully insured plan because it did not used to be embedded in plans. And we would encourage members to use it. We would encourage employers to actually sponsor it. So we've used telehealth. We use health reimbursement accounts. We use pharmacy discount cards. We use discounted lab services. We, you know, directing people to the right place. We use health savings accounts. I know that a lot of people also think that those aren't good. I have a completely different opinion about that. I think they can be great, especially if the employer is helping fund them. We can use direct primary care. In our state, we cannot use cost-sharing programs, so that's not something I have available to me, but I think that they're wonderful. So there are a lot of different tools out there for the smaller employer. And let me tell you another thing that's interesting. An employer that has... 50 employees, they don't see themselves as small. The only one that sees them as small is the broker that says, oh, that's beneath me. Right. Well, you know, when they, interestingly enough, at the base level, at the employee level, they need the same things everybody else needs. You know, you talk about healthcare literacy. It's funny. We just talked to somebody about that in a podcast that'll probably have aired by the time yours airs. And I opened up the program by saying, you know, we just looked at the new Kaiser Family Foundation healthcare literacy study, and it looks kind of just like the one from 10 years ago, it's not getting any better. Absolutely. With all of the emphasis on helping our clients become better consumers and be smarter out in the marketplace, what's it going to take to move that needle? I honestly think it's going back to basics. And I'm not joking. I literally was so frustrated. I'm like, how do I make, how do I really reach these people? And I had some really cool, you know, kind of engaging, attractive posters made up, send them to my local print shop. I hauled them in there, put them on a, on a board. They're like, oh, do you need a PowerPoint? I'm like, I don't want a PowerPoint. I want tangible items. I don't want to do anything here. I want to be talking to you as a person. I want you to be engaged. And it was, it just, it changed like that. And I, I think the Technology is wonderful. I'm a huge fan of it. I use it all the time as much as possible. But we can't forget we're talking to people. And 
healthcare is not their first priority on their mind. Their first priority is getting their kids to school. It's how's the job going? My marriage is in trouble. My dad's sick. All these other things, they only think about their insurance when they use it. So if we can make sure that they understand it as the best we can help them understand it, when they go to use it, it's going to be a better experience for them. Well, and a lot of times when they have to use it, their hair's on fire. They're in an emergency situation and it just leads to the frustration. So it's interesting. I mean, if I tell people that bullet points on PowerPoints were actually invented, I'm swiping this line from a comedian someplace, but they were actually invented by people shooting at folks who were doing PowerPoint presentations. That's how <laughs> bullet points got their name. You I know, love it. We all converse. You don't go to a cocktail party and pull out a projector. You know, we have we have a conversation. So we've got about five minutes left. And I know there was another subject that we wanted to talk about. And, and it's near and dear to my heart as well, because at 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 my stage of my career, at your stage of your career, you start thinking about, you know, what are you going to leave behind? How can you help folks and whatnot? You do a lot of mentoring. Talk about that a little bit for us. You know, at a thousand foot level, what is it? Why is it important? Again, as a result of the pandemic, kind of really did some internal, you know, reflection and where am I at? And here I'm in my career. What do I want to do? And it really became clear to me that I wanted to be able to leave a legacy in this industry. And how can I do that? I work in the smaller group market, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I thought about it and I decided that I was going to start putting myself out there, making myself available to mentoring anybody that asked. And so now on a pretty regular basis, well, definitely a regular basis, at least once a week, somebody reaches out to me and asks, can I have a conversation with you? Can you, you know, can we set some time aside because I need to understand how do I get started? How do I take the next step? Because it's one thing I think we we there's a significant lack of mentorship and guidance for people coming into our industry, unless they might possibly be in a large agency where they, they have a program set up for it. But somebody's going out and starting their own agency. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know the processes they need to have in place. They really are lost. And so I've been spending a lot of time helping them understand, where do you want to focus? What does your sales process look like? But then what are you going to do when you get the account? Because that's the thing that's missing in our industry right now. There's a lot of people that will help you with the sales, but then what happens? Because you don't want to be spinning your wheels all the time, just trying to keep, you know, keep the flow coming in. You want to stop it from going out the back door as well. It's going yeah. to happen, but you want to keep that as small as possible. It's funny in, in the mentoring sessions that I do, I use the analogy of a dog chasing a car. You know, the mm-hmm. question is, okay, I always wonder, what is a dog going to do with the car when he catches it? Yeah. And that's, you know, there's years ago we had Prue school and we had this school and we had that school. And when I came into the business with State Mutual Life out of Worcester, Mass., you know, you had a four-week training program that you had to go through. And sometimes they dragged you all the way to the home office to do that back in the old days. And now it's like, okay, I passed my insurance exam. I'm hanging out a shingle. Let me go impose myself on some clients. And it's tough. But it's not just for you. I know in our pre-discussion, we chatted a little bit. It's not just a question of helping other people. It's a question of something I wish that more folks at the latter stages of their careers would think about, and that's leaving a legacy. I know that's important. You talk a little bit about why that is and kind of what your thought process is around that. Well, I think that when you help other people rise up, everybody gets better. And Again, I've been in this business, you know, like I mentioned, 35 years. I've been doing it for a long time. I don't want to leave and have somebody say, Nancy, who? Now, it's not that I want to be famous. I want them to say she helped me in some way. 
I want them to say, she had an impact on what I became today. And although I help both men and women, I have a real passion for helping women in this industry. Because when I came into the industry at age 23, and everybody looked at me like, you know, I had three horns sticking out of my head, I would go to a conference and they would say, well, whose assistant are you? Or they would say, what carrier rep did do you work for? Because they didn't believe that a young female was, could do it. They didn't think that, you know, and, and clearly I've proved them wrong, but the attitude isn't that different today than it was 35 years ago. So how do I help connect people coming into this industry, especially younger women? How do I help connect them to the other, their peers that they need to talk to? How do I connect them to the resources they need to find? How do I spend time helping them clarify their vision so that they can move on and then leave a legacy behind them? So I think it is a, it's not about me. It's about the industry. It's about those coming behind us and really helping to raise the bar for our industry as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I one of my other careers, I'm the chief marketing officer for an agency in Massachusetts that was started 40, almost 40 years ago by a woman at a time when, and I say this is the father of two girls, there weren't women in audiences when you went to a trade events unless they were spouses, much less women starting agencies. So I, I you know, that's always seemed to me to be just such a great accomplishment because they had such a bigger hill to climb. And the hill is, I don't think the hill is any less steep right now, but I think there are some other women helping women And you know what? The more diverse the industry is, the better off we're going to be because everybody brings their own unique little bit of brand to the table. And I think that helps clients. And at the end of the day, that's really what we're all about is helping clients. So kudos to you and a great place to end our interview for today. Nancy Giacalone, president of Olympic Crest Insurance. Nancy, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your expertise with our audience today. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.